Hello, and welcome to Slush, a publishing podcast. I'm your host, Eric Harden, and on this week's episode of Slush, we're finally back from our not-so-brief hiatus. Thank you so much to everyone who's been patient for those maybe 10 people that are listening to this podcast regularly. Thank you so much for your patience and your understanding about this hiatus that I had to take. It was ultimately a really great decision for me because I got to be productive without stressing myself out. So I am very grateful that I made the decision to take this time off. And yeah, I'm so thrilled to be back. I'm excited for this episode in particular. This week's guest is really just a phenomenal human being and also is the first guest that I've had on the podcast who I didn't know before recording with them. Her name is Marisol Solomon. She is a senior publicist at Penguin Random House, and she got a random email from a random person about being on a podcast and for some reason said yes. And I am so grateful she did because I think we had a really wonderful conversation about working in publicity that I'm so excited to share with all of you. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Marisol Solomon. Hi, Marisol. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about publicity on this week's podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you, Eric. I, I'm like really, I've been prepping for this all week and I'm really excited to be on it. So I'm super honored. Thank you so much. I'm so honored that you prepped. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump right in. So first question, how did you get to this point in your career? Basically, give us a full rundown of your resume. Yeah, I've had a really unique trajectory. So I started, so I went to Trinity College which is a smaller art school in Connecticut. I graduated in 2016 as an English major. And up until that point, I had internships within the fashion industry, one at Cosmo Magazine, one at Armani, and then with a designer. So publishing really wasn't in my viewpoint of an actual career I was going to get into. And looking back on it, it's very silly, but I didn't really know anything about publishing when I was an English major at Trinity. I think just maybe it's unique to my school, but I think they weren't pushing the publishing industry in comparison to I know other schools have. So I didn't really know anything about it. But during my job search, I wasn't having the greatest luck within applying to full-time positions within the fashion industry. So my sister's best friend is a cover designer at Penguin, and she had suggested at the time to look into publicity roles. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like it kind of, I was really interested, obviously, in communications and media and entertainment. So it wasn't a huge leap, but it was just something new. So I casted a much wider net in my job search. I did a ton of informational interviews and really it was such a numbers game, but I applied to almost everything I was remotely interested in. And then I was given a chance at Hachette. I got the interim job there. So I was at their namesake imprint, Hachette Books. So I was there for two years as a publicity assistant. And then the publicity director who had just recently left at Portfolio reached out to me and wanted me to interview for their associate position at Penguin. So, yeah, so I've been at now Portfolio and Sentinel for four years, a little over four years, and now I'm a senior publicist. So I think I just always provide a little bit of context of my background because it's kind of unique to not come from a publishing background in comparison to others who have done internships at different houses before they got there full time. But I say it because it's really important, I think, for others to know that there's not one road to publishing and that you can get into this industry without having the internships or going to the Columbia Publishing course or anything alike. And to always cast a wide net, like you never know. There's so many roles out there that 
we all have no idea like what they do and what it is. So I always say to cast a wide net when applying, even if it sounds remotely interesting, apply to it. It's worth the shot. Yeah, I definitely agree with casting a wide net. I think I was, I'm kind of the opposite of you in that I knew I wanted to work in publishing in like sixth grade. And I also knew exactly what department I wanted. So I was only applying for those jobs. And I got very lucky, thankfully, but it was much harder than it had to be because I was casting such a narrow net. Uh, (laughs) So I would definitely recommend the opposite. Yeah, it is funny because I feel like that storyline is much more common than mine. But I am, I am jealous of people who just kind of know exactly what they want. I think it would have made my job search a little easier. Yeah, there's like, you know, grass is greener on the other side, you know. (laughs) Okay, moving to the next question. What are some favorite projects or titles that you've worked on so far in your career? That's always a tough question because I think each title I work on gives me a little nugget that the other one hasn't. So I think the three that really jump out on me is Tough by Terry Crews that I just finished working on in April. I loved the book. The writing is just unbelievable and so raw and so good. But I also really, what I loved most about the project was probably mostly the team. It was such a collaborative effort, and that is not something you find on every campaign. We worked really all well together. It was also a very large team. So to be able to work so seamlessly together was just really nice at the end of the day. It was also really fun to work with such exciting media, to work with all the TV programs that we were able to get and secure. That also doesn't happen very often to get more than one TV show confirmed for a book. So to be able to kind of have our choosing and it be more of like a puzzle than just kind of seeing what sticks is really It was really fun and rewarding. And Terry's just awesome. So I always recommend people to pick up the book. It was so good to work on. The other two I'd say was Shrill by Lindy West, Mahishat. She is just such a trailblazer. She's awesome. And she's just such a good author to work with. Also another phenomenal book. So I worked on her paperback campaign when I had just joined Hachette. And I remember being like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe every book's going to be like as great as this is. And then I real quickly realized not every book is as fun and amazing as working on Stroll by Lindy West. So it just made it even more special. So yeah, so I really loved that campaign. And then also, I think the third one would definitely be a book I worked on about two years ago now at this point. And it was The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhu. And she was a former VP at Facebook. It's such a great read. I always, as a manager myself, I always reference that book. Anytime I'm kind of in a crunch or not sure how to navigate a situation or a conversation, I always pick up that book. I also always recommend it to fellow managers. It's such an essential book. And Julie's also just such an inspiring and phenomenal woman. Those are all such wonderful projects. I mean, what a career. Thank you so much for sharing those. The next question is, how would you describe the work that your department does as a whole? I think as a whole, we always describe it as we launch nonfiction books for ambitious readers. So we primarily Portfolio and Sentinel works on nonfiction books, be it from self-help, business, a lot of founder stories, tech stories. So so those are kind of like, that's a genre we work on. And then also I would say, so our department is made up of, I say, primarily three buckets. 
And there are a couple more that we work in tangent to, but the three main buckets would be the editorial team, the publicity team, and the marketing team. We're very collaborative. So I constantly am in meetings with editors and marketers going over either the cover design for a certain title or the actual title or marketing initiatives. So we work all really in tandem, which is really nice. And I know that's very unique to each imprint and it depends where you are. But I have to say that's one of the really special things that I love about our imprint. And I think at the crux of it, we really we published really great books that have certainly changed my own viewpoint and life. And I've noticed that for readers as well when I get to see that moment. Thank you for that description. That's so great. And I do, I have to agree that I think publishing is at its best when it's collaborative. Because if, if we're just all working ourselves in our own little cubes, nothing, it's not as good. It's just not, it's not as enjoyable and the book isn't as good. I agree. And it's also not as fun. Like I, I don't want to be silent. I want to be like chatting with my coworkers about a really fun project and brainstorming new ways. So that is definitely something I always want to do. I want to collaborate as much as I can. Yeah, same here. Next question. What are the favorite and least favorite parts of your job for you? I think my favorite parts are, I think it starts definitely with events. I love, love event planning. So if I'm able to do like a huge multi-city tour for an author, which we're, we're only able to do that with a couple of authors that really aggressively tour. And that's always just so fun for me. I really, there's a difference. Like I do love to see when a really good piece, say in the New York Times runs for on one of our books or online. And that's always really fun and rewarding. But there's something so special about seeing a reader connect with a book in person or being there at an event. And it's so engaging. People are ferociously writing notes about what the author's saying. And those are the moments that you can't really capture online or even in comments. So I really love working on events and just kind of seeing the readers in person. And then also, I think probably being able to be so creative when it comes to our pitches and where we want to place certain media, to be able to kind of frame the narrative in the way that best suits the author and the book is always really challenging, but in such a great way. And then I would say the least favorite parts of my job is I think my biggest frustration would be that since publicity hinges so much on the news cycle, it gets sometimes it's just so hard to pitch a book, especially a new author who deserves the media attention. But it really depends on the news cycle, unfortunately, and if we're able to kind of get in that conversation, tap in. So I think that's probably the hardest part about our job. And then I think sometimes when I'm working with a difficult team, I think that's just never any fun. You know, it, it definitely, it's a learning moment within its own right, but it's definitely nice to be able to kind of work seamlessly as I was able to with the tough team. In everything, it's the people, I think. I definitely <laughs> like They agree. make or break the experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Next question. What traits and or skills do you feel are necessary for a person who's looking for a job in publicity? There are so many. I feel like maybe the top three would be definitely detail-oriented. There's so many moving pieces constantly, be it when you're scheduling massive tours or media lineups or press junkets. To have those details and to be very accurate with them is just crucial to this job. And then I would say the other two would be being a people's person, being able to have those conversations 
be it the tough conversations or the fun conversations with authors and their teams and not feeling uncomfortable in those moments is really important. And then I always say when I'm like interviewing potential candidates, I always say that another facet of this job, which I think really is an innate skill, is the ability to read the room. I think that's so important publicity because not everything is said and you have to really pick up on author cues or like body language. And especially when you're doing, say, pre-interviews with the media and and now it's the ability to read the virtual room, but that's also important too. So I'd say those are the top three. And then also I'll just add in that I think also just loving, I think at the end of the day, it's just like loving the media and loving books. If you're able to have that passion, it'll carry you throughout. I think it's so important because at the end of the day, like even when you're dealing with a difficult book or a difficult team, if you're able to just really love the media and working with them, I think that's the most rewarding and fun part of our job. It never gets old when I book really exciting things such as like a morning show or even an online piece. No matter the booking, I'm just really excited. Thank you so much for sharing those. I think those will give people a really good glimpse of what skills they might need to either develop or call out when they're applying for positions. So thank you for that. Of course. Okay. This is now the big question of the episode. Can you walk us through the standard work that you do in your role for an individual book from start to finish, whenever that finishes, if there's ever a finish? I think that's the hardest question. Uh, (laughs) I think there's just so many pieces to book publication, but also publicity. But from the start, I will say, so it really begins when we're working alongside the editor from the very beginning. So it's when We don't necessarily have a title for the project. We just have a proposal per se, or we have a very rough manuscript. So I think we're working alongside the editor in those first early on days and helping to shape the manuscript so it's also media friendly. So that's probably the beginning. And then we get to when we have a title and we're six months out. And so it starts to slowly ramp up. And then that's when the editor will introduce the publicity and marketing team to the author and their team. So we usually tend to have a kickoff call and then we're brainstorming ideas and how to launch this campaign. So that's a really fun time because it's still early days. So you get to like kind of see what sticks with the author and kind of get their temperature on what they're thinking. So that's about six months out. And then we get galleys, which are unbound manuscripts. And those come about five to six months out as well. So we're working with galleys. We're pitching those out to media. So those are really for long lead media, say TV and print media that want an early and need an early look at the book. So that's the galley period. And then about a month out is when we get finished books. So those are the books that readers get. And then we're pitching those out to media. So usually the short lead media that doesn't necessarily need as much time, especially nowadays, everyone works so close to deadline. So the month out is actually very crucial in making sure we can secure as much more media as we can. So that's a really exciting time because also we're seeing how the campaign has shaped up up until that point. And if there's also any holes that we haven't really tapped into just yet. 
So that's a really pivotal point. And it's also a point that the author's definitely the most excited. They're ready to get out on the road, tour, get the book out in as many readers' hands as possible. And then we hit publication day. And I don't know if there's ever... Yeah, I don't think there's really ever a finish point because we're constantly working with the authors even four months out from publication. I even have authors that publish books a couple years back now reach out to me then and there either for speaking engagement and they want to include the book in it or an interesting media request has come across them and they want my intake on it. So I would say there's no true finish, but I would say in in the media frenzy point, I think the first pub week and the first couple weeks at post pub week are the most exciting and media adrenaline rush weeks. So that's when usually all the press happens and then it kind of slowly trickles out from there. So yeah, so it's that's probably a broad overview of book publicity and my role, but it's hopefully entices people to just find out on their own. Yeah, definitely. And I want to ask a couple of follow-up questions because I one of my favorite things to do for this podcast is just to give people a better idea of the volume of work because as great as publishing is, it is a very difficult industry to be in with a lot of work and a lot of potential for burnout. So I just want people to be aware of what they're signing up for. So you were saying that it's about six-ish months per title, like of dedicated work on each title. Is that pretty accurate? Six months? Yeah, I would say, yeah, about six months. So it's a very long lead process. It's sometimes for a couple of books, if they're like a very lead lead title. So the biggest books on our list, you might even need a little more time for them to start planning. But I'd say six months is definitely a safe bet for most books. And then if there's a general number of how many titles each publicist is managing each season, what is that average? I would say it's about three to four titles for each season. But it really, I know it's hard because it varies depending on how much workload that certain title requires. So if I'm working on, say, my upcoming fall, I'm working on a lead title and that's our biggest title this season. So I'm only working on that title plus maybe a much smaller book. So that's two for the fall season because our lead title requires so much extensive work and planning. So we really depend depends on the season and the author and the workload. But I would say three to four season is pretty safe to say. I think also when you're much more junior employee, say an assistant, you're probably working, you have your hands on a lot of titles because you're assisting your manager, plus you're working on a couple probably paperbacks or much smaller titles on your end. So you have hands in a lot of buckets, but you're not necessarily leading all those. And then I think as you move up, you're leading fewer titles, but they're much bigger projects. So it slightly differs depending also on your role. Yeah, definitely. And then it also sounds like as your career grows, as long as you stay at the same company, the work kind of just keeps building because the number of titles you've worked on, like it's not consistent maybe, but like six months ago, a book published and maybe they'll come and be like, hey, I have this thing. Can you help me plan this? Yeah. So it seems like all of the titles you've ever worked on kind of are still your responsibility going forward. So that seems like a lot. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely overwhelming and people certainly come out of the woodwork sometimes, but it's fun. And at least it's not, 
I think what I love about publishing, or at least I love about our imprint, is that everyone's very understanding of how much work everyone's doing. So we're all in, we're really respectful, understanding of how busy, especially the fall season is. So we make sure to factor that in whenever we're planning or discussing, even meetings. We try to make sure we're kind of paring down the meetings when it comes to the fall season because it's already so busy. So I have to say that's a really great thing about our imprint that everyone's like super aware of each other. And just so I know, what is the, sorry, which which imprint are you with? I'm at Portfolio Sentinel. Okay. So it's under the Penguin bucket. Yes. And they do just nonfiction. Is that right? They or do no? just nonfiction. Okay. Yeah. So, which is nice. I prefer it that way. Fiction's very hard to pitch and it's rewarding when you get a really great book. But I do love nonfiction because we can always tap into the current news cycle or we can try to. Would you say that's the main difference between publicity for fiction versus nonfiction, the more easily pitchable nature of fiction yeah. or nonfiction? I mean, yeah, I think I think that's definitely one of the big differences is that yeah, nonfiction's slightly easier to pitch because we can use a new cycle and kind of sometimes it's a stretch, but most of the time you can find an angle. I'd also say nonfiction authors tend to come more with built in audiences than fiction authors because nonfiction authors tend to have more of a platform and they've amassed a following up until that point. And that's not for every author, but I would say a majority of the ones at least we work with. Thank you for elucidating on those differences, because I do think it's important. I mean, depending on the career goal of the person listening, maybe they'll want to work on both. Maybe they'll want to work on one or the other. But it's good to know the distinctions between the two and the direction they might want to take their career in. Next question. What is one thing that you wish you knew about publishing and or your role before you started working in the industry? I think that I would say probably when I was an assistant, I wish I knew I think I wish I knew how overwhelming and busy it was going to be. And maybe that's sweet. And that sounds silly, I think, now thinking about it. But, you know, I'd, I had only had internships before that. I've never had a full-time job. And I also think publishing is really unique in the sense of, as I said before, especially as a publicity assistant, you have your hands in a lot of moving pieces. So it gets really overwhelming. And not to say that's a bad thing at all, but I think that's just something I don't think anyone ever told me. Maybe I, I had this sense, I think, before I really experienced the industry that I thought it was going to be a little slower pace in comparison to magazines, especially when I had interned at Cosmo. It was so fast paced. It was very crazy. And I had always pictured book publishing to be a little slower. And I don't know where I necessarily got that imagery from, but it was just something I had always thought of. So I didn't really expect the fast paced world of book publishing, which I really personally love. So it's something that I thrive in. So I definitely appreciate it. And then I would also say how unique the imprints are. So for anyone who's looking to get into publishing, it is very important, I think, to do a little digging before you apply to or before you accept a full-time role at whatever imprint it is, because each imprint is so different from the next and each team works very differently. So I think it's important to make sure that you love the books that you work on because that imprint has a very unique selection of probably the books that they choose and acquire. So I'd say just to take account and do your homework before choosing an imprint. Yeah, I think those are really great points. I do want to jump back to just a second to the publishing being fast paced. 
thinking it was like slower. I do think that is a very common assumption that people make. I, I made it myself. And I think the problem is people hear that a book takes two, three years to publish and they think, oh, that's so long. But the problem is the workload is not, yeah. it's not like we're working on one book for two or three years. We're working on dozens of books every minute of every day. It's yeah. exactly that. And I think it's true. I did picture, yeah, especially because it does take a while for books to publish. But it's so true, as you said, we're working on several projects. And especially I say this as when I was an assistant, you also are working on a lot of admin stuff. So maybe necessarily it's not completely directly on the campaign, but maybe you're working on a bunch of slide decks for a sales conference meeting or a pitch meeting. And there's a lot of admin work plus title work. And that's definitely something to account for. So it's a lot faster and a lot busier than I think young Marisol thought it was going to be. <laughs> if only the younger versions of us knew what they were getting into. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Okay, next question. If you were given the power, and by the power, I mean like some publishing overlord came to you and was like, Marisol, you have all the power for a day. You can make any change you want to the publishing industry as a whole. What changes would you make? I think the way two changes, because I have probably mentioned this so many times to friends, is that although we are headed in the right direction as an industry, I would love to see aggressive and continued efforts in pushing for more diversity across the board. I think we have at least Penguin Random House is really great in making sure that we push for more diverse authors and voices and we publish a gamut of books. But I'd love to see that reflect in the employees we hire. That's a huge crucial point I'd love to see changed. And as a woman of color in the publishing industry, I'd love to see more. So that's definitely something that I know is top of mind for many publishing houses. So I'm happy to already see that conversation in the works, but I want to make sure the conversation also very much continued. And then I would say probably, I think especially talking to much more like junior staff, so assistants and associates, I think top of mind for folks is probably having more transparency about wages and salaries. And I think not many people know when stepping into publishing that most of us probably aren't in publishing for the money. I think we're in publishing because we love books and that's a phenomenal thing and a rare thing to find. But I also think it's important and crucial for people to know what they're getting into, especially when people are trying to plan futures or paying off student loans and so I think that's a very topical thing that I know a lot of people, at least in my circle, have been talking about more. And I know that's top of mind also for publishers as well. So, yeah, so I think those are probably the two buckets. And I'm, I'm just, again, I'm happy that those conversations are happening. But I also hope that publishing houses are including more junior people into those conversations. Yeah, every time I've asked this question, maybe not every time, but pretty much every time, those are like two of the things that are brought up for sure. And I do think especially the salary topic is across the board so important because we are so underpaid as a whole in this industry. Yeah. But also it feeds directly into being able to diversify our industry as a whole because, exactly. you know, if people can't afford to work in this industry in the most expensive city in the country, mm -hmm. then how are we going to continue to retain young talent that hasn't been able to afford to be in this industry in the past? It's so true. And yeah, I, I truly couldn't have said it any better. It's so true. And they go hand in hand. So I hope that we can push this conversation to actual efforts and implement true change. 
yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you. Okay, I do want to jump. I have we just have the last question, but I do want to jump back just a bit because I thought of this question, and I'm sorry to spring this on you, but I did want to ask, what is the pitching process with a media contact? So for like a TV show or a newspaper or magazine or something like, from what I've understood from talking to other publicists, it's a lot of emailing, but what is that process like for you? It is definitely a lot of emailing, which maybe sometimes is my least favorite part of my job because sometimes I just can get a little brain dead after emailing a lot. But that process probably looks, so it varies. It's very dependent on who I'm pitching, what my relationship with the contact is. So say if it's a TV contact and I probably have pitched her several times before, I probably won't send her a generic email, but I will tailor it and to make sure that it's very personal. And I also include, for example, say if I'm pitching Tough by Terry to CBS this morning, I will make sure to also include previous segments of him on the show so that she knows that there's a history and that she can also see him on TV. Even though he's the celebrity, it's always nice to like include a video, especially for authors who have no prior video experience or TV experience. So I think it definitely depends. And then I'd say also for my pitch to TV versus Sprint is probably very different because TV requires a bit more context. I think we I tend to include many more assets in my email. So past TV segments or past media and maybe an email to the New York Times is probably a little more formal and a little more pointed in what this author has to say that's unique to them. So it definitely depends. But I think a broad overview and a helpful overview is that we definitely we make sure that the contact matches what the book's content is. So making sure the beat is in line with the subject and then pitch them and then probably follow up with that in about a week and a half, two weeks, depending on the contact. So yeah, so it definitely varies, but I think that's a probably a nice broad overview for people. And then also another question. Sorry, I keep surprising (laughs) your question. When one of your authors is on a television show or like going to an event, Are you also going to those with them as their publicist or do they have a team that they're going with? Is it different for each author? It's slightly different for each author, but I would say across the gamut, we always escort authors to TV appearances, basically their media days. Say if they're coming to New York, they have two days of full media, then yes, the publicist will always go with the author. And that's probably in a I neglected to mention this, but that's probably one of my favorite parts of the job. Because again, it's really fun to see first to visit the TV sets are always fun. So like going to CBS this morning and then seeing Gail King, it's the best morning ever. So that's already fun. And then seeing an author have a phenomenal interview and being there to witness it is always great. So yeah, so we always escort them. And I personally love it. So I was very sad, obviously, when COVID hit and that part of our job kind of was put on pause for a little. So I'm glad to see it's picked up. And I've had a couple of media days so far. And yeah, it's always such a great time. Yeah, I've always been like politely jealous of publicity just because (laughs) like I love my job and I love managing editorial and everything, but it just seems a little more glamorous. (laughs) Those parts of it, at least I'm sure the day to day is still mundane and like stressful and stuff. Yeah, I think it's like those. Yeah, I definitely am waiting for those kind of media days to come because they are just the most fun rewarding times. So it is glamorous, maybe for a couple of hours in those days. But then we're back to our old dusty desks and and then pitching kind of goes on. But 
it's definitely the media days that I think is always a nice refresher why I do this job and why I love it. Yeah, you get like that really nice high and then you're back to the emails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you for answering those impromptu questions. Moving to the last official question. What is the best advice that you've received thus far in your career? I think maybe, I guess it was more feedback, but um, I mean, what is advice but feedback really? So I, this was probably when I was at Hachette, I want to say that a manager of mine told me that basically she was like, I love your ideas and I like when you're speaking up in meetings, but a good reminder is that you don't have to always be so polite. And I always found that really helpful and interesting. And I always go back to it because I think coming from, I think as a woman, but also probably growing up as one of three girls, I think we were just always taught to always be very polite, respectful, wait for your turn. So I always had that very ingrained in my mind. And I think when it came to my career and working within the corporate industry, and I think that held me back in a lot of ways, especially as a junior employee, I had always, I would always wait for my turn to speak. I would never like, I wouldn't push too much. I would, I was very shy. And I think I definitely after leaving Hachette and when I heard that and I was like, oh, like I need to push that aside. She's definitely right. Like I need to stop being polite and lean in more and definitely speak up more and not be afraid. I think I was very inhibited in, in offending anyone or like and not even just offending in the way of like, I hope they don't think I was interjecting too much and in that way. And that is definitely something that is so harmful to someone who's trying to also grow within the industry. And I have to say that's never going to help you. And that's definitely something I have kind of kicked to the side. And I've always tried to kind of, I think, like kind of channel my inner my inner powers to be like, hey, I can share my ideas and be a little louder. So I think that's definitely something that's really helped along the way. And I definitely reference it anytime that I feel a little quieter or shy or maybe even perhaps a little intimidated sometimes. Yeah. So I think that's definitely the advice I always go back to. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And it's something that I've had to tell myself too, because it's so easy to just sit in a meeting and not say anything and just let it go by. And it's like, no, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to stand up for your ideas. In order to build this career that you hopefully want, you have to be able to vocalize those things. So I completely agree. Definitely. And I think especially in publishing that maybe this is also another pain point of mine, but publishing, I think as a whole is very based on hierarchy. So I think and depending on where you are and what imprint, but I've been in meetings many times, even in and out of publishing that, you know, it's the publisher who's speaking, it's the whoever, the higher up speaking and all assistants are very quiet in the back and are not really asked to voice their opinions. And I think I just always want to tell, I, I really, I guess I would rattle young me and be like, no, speak up. It's okay. You're not going to get in trouble. This is not school. Like, it's okay to voice your opinions and go against the norm, even if it seems like everyone else is not necessarily doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I did one more impromptu question. I'm so sorry. Of course. Because uh, <laughs> you mentioned being intimidated in your job. And I was wondering, just like, Back to the glamorous part of your job. Do you ever get intimidated by like certain authors that you're working with? Like maybe with Terry Crews, just because they're such big names. Oh my God, It just seems definitely. like it'd be so, yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> yes, definitely. And 
I always say this, especially to people I manage, because I also, I think as a manager, I always want to make sure junior employees know that we're all human. Like no one has this job down pat and we're all learning as we go, figuring it out, navigating certain situations. And that, yes, of course, I get intimidated by authors and that's just a normal part of the job or at least my experience with the job. But I think it does get really intimidating when you're with authors like Terry Crews and celebrities or just founders and these huge entrepreneurs and experts in their field. And sometimes I can feel a little silly going into a meeting, pitching ideas and they're great ideas. But I also feel like the author, especially a nonfiction, it's their book. They know probably the subject a little more than myself. So that can always feel a little, I guess, imposter syndrome-y. But I also think, I always look at it that if I don't feel a little nervous or intimidated by authors, and that means that I don't, I'm not being challenged and I probably don't really respect the author as much. I want to feel like I'm learning as much from them as they are learning from me. So I think that's, um, I, I take it as a learning moment when I'm feeling a little slightly uncomfortable or nervous. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to look at it. And that is so true. Like, if you just met an author and you were like, I don't care about this person at all. <laughs> like, why are you like, there's no there's nothing to learn from that experience, I don't think. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, those are all of the questions, both planned and impromptu. Thank you so much for answering of all of course. them. I do have two more quick questions just to wrap up the episode. So number one, where can we follow you online if you'd like to be followed online? And then also, do you have any projects that you're working on that are coming up that you're really excited about that you want to shout out? Yeah, um, well, you can definitely follow me on LinkedIn. I'm so bad. I don't even know my username, but you can look me up. It's Marisol Solomon. Or you can follow me on Instagram, which is Marisol underscore Solomon. I don't post much book content, but I do post a lot of dog photos because I'm obsessed with my dog. So if that's for you, then definitely follow me. And then I think exciting, not necessarily coming up, but I just finished working with Catherine Finney, author of Build the Damn Thing. And she is just such a force of nature and amazing and such a good writer and really makes you believe in everything you do. So it's just like, it was such an exciting campaign. And we had an incredible couple of New York media days with her. She flew in and it, it was just so great. It's also the book is about basically how to navigate the world of VC and tech when you're not a rich white guy. And I think I love the subtitle. The packaging was amazing. And the content is so good as like, I don't know, maybe I am sort of, especially after working with so many entrepreneurship books, I feel like I'm sort of an entrepreneur myself in my own way or maybe a budding one. But I really, I have taken like little bits of the book with me. And I kind of earmarked a lot of the pages. So I definitely recommend it. And she's so great. So yeah, I've been recommending that one definitely in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, that sounds like such a great book. I'm going to have to get that. And also so many of these books, I'm like, got to add them to my list. <laughs> like you work with such great books. Yeah, they are really fun. And of course, I can send you any books that you're interested in. I'm always trying to spread the reading and love knowledge around. So yeah, so it, it is a really fun time. And I always tell people that publishing is so unique. And if you can kind of get your but in the door, then you can really move around from there within the industry. So maybe necessarily you might not get your kind of dream role right away or the house that you wanted to be at, but never let that discourage you because 
I think the industry is so great at encouraging people to move around, jump houses, try new roles. So it's kind of, I don't know, I guess the world's a little bit of your oyster in publishing. Yeah, I've heard people describe publishing as musical chairs because people are just bopping around to different houses all the time. <laughs> like someone will join the company that I work at and they'll be like, oh yeah, I worked with you at this place and I worked with you over here and I worked with you and I knew you from here, but I didn't work with you. But like, it's nice to see you. And it's just every time it's like the industry is so small that you just, as you move around, you meet so many people. Yeah. It's so true. And um, I love that about it because there's always a friendly face in the room, especially when you've been in the industry for a couple of years, you will likely recognize someone and any new role you take within the industry. I really do love that. And I love that analogy to musical chairs. I'm taking that with me. <laughs> yeah, feel free. I didn't come up with it. So I'm, <laughs> I have no authority over it. Thank you so much, Marisol, for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to me. You are my first guest that I don't personally know outside of recording this. So I just am so grateful that you took a chance on this small little podcast that no one knows about. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, I'm so grateful for your expertise and your time and your enthusiasm. So thank you so much. Of course. And thank you so much, Eric. I, again, like I just, I find this so crucial and helpful for everyone because I think there's sometimes the publishing industry could be so murky and hidden and you're not really sure how to get in. And this podcast is probably going to be so helpful to so many people interested within the industry. So yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for tapping me into your circle. I hope this isn't the last time we speak. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had such a great time. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slush. Please visit slushpod.com where you'll find episode transcripts, free resources, and forms to submit questions and feedback. You can also follow Slush on Twitter at slushpod. And if you are so inclined, please rate and review the podcast. Slush is hosted and produced by Eric Harden. Slush's logo was designed by Shelby Pack, and its theme music comes from the song Good Luck Charm by Olive Music. Any views expressed on the podcast are personal and do not reflect the opinions or interests of the hosts or guests' employers. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.